Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. So, we are in the Keys offices today and I am joined by Dean Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of Minds Ahead. Welcome. Thank you. Um, just, just a little bit about, about Dean for listeners. Um, he founded Minds Ahead to address mental health from a school perspective and is pushing for system-wide change for all schools so that mental health is improved. He pre- had previous roles at Teach First and Place to Be and is currently writing a, a master's course in school leadership of mental health. Uh, He's a regular speaker at conferences and workshops and is also Chair of Governors of a school in London. So, uh, Dean, tell us a little bit about Minds Ahead, uh, what you do and why you set it up. Yeah, sure. So Minds Ahead is the leading social enterprise when it comes to mental health in schools. And what our vision is, if you like, is for our schools to be world leaders when it comes Mm -hmm. to, to mental health. We really want them to be confident and able to lead this agenda um we I set it up because basically saw that one we all know there's a mental health need uh, in our schools but crucially to look at it from a school's perspective right? what mm. is it that if i was addressing this from a school angle what would i need and want to be able to do to do this well and and when you look at it from that perspective a few things became clear one it is about the leadership so that they um are not just waiting for the next government diktat to fall through the uh, kind of inbox, mm. but they are able to, to kind of get hold of this quite complex issue, actually, and to feel confident to be able to lead it across their school, but also out from their school in their mm. local community, linking with health services, etc. Um, and so what we did is, uh, when I set it up, is visited a few schools who had, where they'd, they'd taken on this role. So there'd been a, a mental health lead appointed, and the general trend by speaking to three or four different schools in this way was was this. It was often a fixed-term contract. Mm. So they'd seen the need, but they weren't quite sure how it was going to shake up. So we'll, we'll give somebody a chance at it for a year. It was someone who was always promoted onto SLT for the first time. Okay. So it was somebody who was uh, enthusiastic, willing, mm. wanting to step up. Um, but again, you know, we'll give it a go type of thing. So they were often on a, a one-year kind of fixed-term SLT placement. And then I said to them, great, so you've seen the need, you've convinced the governors, and what did you do next? Where did you go? And then the response was things like Google, or mm. I know a psychologist who, or you know, I had some links with CAM, so I'd pop them an email. Basically, yeah. there was no proper structure. There mm. was no um, real guidance out there for mm. these innovative leaders willing to step up to, to lead this complex issue across their school. And then it started to fall into place because many of us asked, well, what would you have liked, you know, yeah. when you started this role six months, a year ago? And then it becomes quite clear, doesn't it? Well, I would have liked a proper leadership development program, a training program for me yeah. to attend. I would have liked um, a resource pack for me mm. to refer to. I would have liked to have a network with other, you know, all the things that we yeah. look for when we maybe are becoming a deputy head or a head teacher mm. for the first time. Any other senior leadership role in, t- in yeah. school or a SENCO or whatever it is, you know, there's a proper structured guidance out there. There's a, there's a network of other professionals. Um, there's resources they can mm. refer to. So then basically we just set about creating it. 
So we looked at creating a, a leadership development program for the school mental health lead, uh, a kind of a quality mark, which is a, in a sense a, a framework for what the school could be doing when mm. it comes to mental health. Um, and then other things from that uh, a governor um, e-module for governors to access um, a middle leadership program. So we look at kind of how, um, you know, and, and so it all just kind of flows from those conversations really as to what schools would have valued to take on this leading this agenda. And I guess what you're what you're looking there at really is what what does that role done well look like by a school and and somebody whose experience is as a as a teacher or school leader rather than always seeing I guess the schools as a poor relation to somebody with a psychologist background or an you know educational psychologist or someone who works for CAMS as you, as, as you say and actually recognizing what what can be done in the school setting. Exactly, and exactly that, and, and seeing schools not as a as a victim of the system a little bit, or the, mm. this kind of you know that, but actually people who you know the schools can lead mental health, um, and I think that's that's kind of slowly coming around to being recognised. But I think three or four two years ago when I set man's head up. You know, I don't think that was a widely accepted um, kind of concept, really. I kind of equated it, I speak to some school leaders about it, and sometimes some school leaders kind of see the similarities with safeguarding. Mm. Safeguarding could be seen um, and was seen, you know, in foregone years as um, a social care issue because it's, if you look at it mm. for child protection, it's about kind of children who are at risk of abuse and neglect and perhaps taking them into care if they need to, removing them from their yeah. families or, or putting safeguards in around the family to keep them safe. Um, you know, nowadays, you know, the designated safeguarding leaders are an established role in the school. Mm. Um, it's got a link with governance. Um, they're giving proper structured training programs. There's guidance out yeah. there. It, it, how it links to social care and police and other parts of the of the mm. um, you know important infrastructure we have to support our children exists. And I think maybe mental the mental health lead is in a similar mm. you know kind of at the beginning of this process yeah. and could end up in a similar stage where you know schools play a unique and special role when it comes to mental health that complements and supports um, CAMs uh, mm. and psychologists and other services that exist, but it's part of the ecosystem when it comes to supporting our kids' mental health. And obviously set, setting up your own organisation, and you, you feel particularly strongly about this um, cause, is there a, a reason for that? Yeah, it's... Um, we just know that too many kids have been held back. Yeah. And we know that... And schools were struggling with mm. it, really. And... Um, you know, my own background, I went to seven different schools uh, wow. as a child, so I moved about a lot. Um, my parents, uh, my mum, I was single, uh, lived in a single uh, family background. Um, you know, she had mental health and other physical disability and other needs as well. Um, and, you know, and you think about kind of what school, I know what schools did and what schools are doing now to support children mm. um, with with similar kind of um, backgrounds maybe to myself um, with those risk factors for risk of yeah. ill health being quite kind of um, quite kind of prevalent really and and it's kind of how can you know we know schools are doing some great work but it just wasn't being collated yeah. and showcased it's too and patchy each school yeah. is doing its own thing with yeah. the best of intentions yeah I mean, you know, why and limited resources, I limited think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Limited resources, no network to yeah. draw on. Um, and so it was just like, actually, you know, we, we can do better as a country mm. and we shouldn't leave our schools to with all the best of intentions and, and the motivation just to have to 
you know, try to find their own way through this. Like we yeah. should be working together um, as a system and, and as, a, as, a, as a community. So, yeah, it was very much about trying to trying to harness that really yeah and we were talking earlier about the you know huge number of 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 children who experience mental health issues um why do you you think the the numbers um of, of young people are increasing so significantly and schools are really um sort of struggling um with 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 numbers it's it's it is it is increasing and it's com it's the answer is actually quite complex i think yeah. there's, there's not an easy solution i think if there were we would we would know mm. it and something would be been done about it um there's i mean some of the things that might be out there so there's an increased awareness around mental health people are more willing to mm. talk about it they're more kind of informed about it um, the stigma's decreased which in, yeah. in, helps with that as well um so you might you might end up with probably more um, more incidents kind of being presented than maybe would have maybe some of them would have been held back uh, yeah. in, in foregone years, and that that in itself is a good thing because mm. people the earlier they can seek support, the better. Um, and there's other things, you know, the school pressure it seems to be more intense maybe than it used to be, um, especially in maybe in all stages, but especially maybe in secondary. Mm. Um, the impact of, of screen time and perhaps social media, but how more importantly mm. that plays out in terms of family relationships and the impact that has on lack of sleep and, and other issues. You know, so it's not it's not a... I don't think it's not a silver bullet. This is, this is what's yeah. causing the increase. Um, there's definitely... You know, the data in this country is quite strong. That is definitely a concern around teenage girls and mm. they're feeling very low self-esteem, low um, kind of aspirations for the future. Um, that kind of kicks in around about the age 15, it seems, um, and that being very, very high. And that, that is a concern. We are leading to a generation of young women who are, who are you know, who have that. In terms of, you know, if I was to kind of think of it in risk and protective factors for a minute, probably the best... Um, risk factor which could be reduced is lack of sleep mm. make sure our kids are, and young people are getting enough sleep uh, and undisturbed as much as possible um, I say that coming from a house with a three year old and, yeah. and a one and a half year old you know um, you know sleep but yeah sleep is a real issue and actually in schools where we've worked where they've done surveys they've actually asked the children what is limiting their mental health and sometimes they've been surprised because sleep has come up come up top mm. and the children themselves recognizing that it's 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 an issue and then um probably the best protective factor is, is a very broad one but relationships mm. you know peer relationships relationships with teachers and other staff in schools family uh, parental relationships you know are so important and if there's if there's good solid relationships mm. there that can really help when things do become bumpy because things do become bumpy for yeah. children and young people but if there's a good good network of solid relationships in place that can really help to protect the child through through any challenges they might face yeah and um i mean i was i was struck with the the, the pisa rankings before christmas and seeing that you know particularly as you were saying 15 year old girls who do the pisa pisa tests coming coming out you know very near the top for for ch for children that are concerned about fear of failure and and we know levels of life satisfaction uh 
being being low amongst the the children taking those um, PISA tests, incidences of bullying being being very high, uh, British pupils being reported you know bullying several times a month, this this kind of thing. I mean, I'm going to ask you to speculate and also our listeners to to, to bear with us while we kind of unpick and think about what what in the system and the way that we run schools might be contributing to to some of that stuff. You know. Are, are the stakes around testing so high that fear of failure is a is is, is such a you know big concern? Um, what do you, what are your thoughts? What do you, what do you think in our education system might be contributing to some of these factors? Yeah, and, and the British girls things links a lot to um, the, from the health data. Anxiety is the biggest uh, emotional needs emotional disorders actually, and anxiety mm. within that is the biggest one. So, you know, then them linked to fail off fear of failure kind of you can see the link there between anxiety and, and fear of failure it seems in the UK we have a very high what you might call competitive spirit and individualized mm. um, approach to wanting to um, kind of compete which mm. is um, different actually to some of our other countries for example in the PISA where collaboration comes through more strongly and girls the PISA found you know are, are less um you know, high high stakes competition um, has a has a more has a stronger negative impact on girls' mental health and well being than than it does for boys. It seems um, so. Kind of how girls and boys respond to competition yeah. uh, is there. I mean, I I've worked with some schools where there's been really and actually an incident when I saw that. I did think about this school I worked with a couple of years back now. Where it was a grammar girls girls grammar mm. school. Um, so it was all girls, but it was such a high competitive spirit and. For example, they were talking about girls not mm. not entering to do things if it meant they weren't likely to come top, you know. So rather than um, go for a run, perhaps yeah. because it was enjoyable and good to yeah. be outside and good to meet your friends and all the rest mm. of it, you know, they would just not take part because they knew they were not going to be fastest at running. Mm. For example, you could apply that to anything, drama yeah. or whatever, whatever. You know, they just they would rather withdraw. Mm. Then do it, and that fear of failure was just was just there in almost everything, and and that that degree of competitive competitiveness, yeah. um, in terms of, you know, I I always must be best, otherwise I'd rather not take part. Mm. Um, so it leads to people just then obviously having a less less rich childhood mm. because yeah. then they're just not doing things that maybe they would enjoy doing for the sake of. Mm. I mean, you've got to give credit, I think, and value doing things for the sake of doing things. Yeah. And obviously, the mindfulness approach is you know mm. goes down that line, but some of our school system, you know, really doesn't value doing things for just for doing it. You know, yeah. and just doing things to achieve and succeed, and that's important as well. People do well with their mental health and well-being when they're learning new things yeah. and they feel like that. But it's also doing things for relaxation and enjoyment, mm. and that's as important as doing things for achievement and succeed. You know, yeah. it's it's, it, and maybe maybe the balance is a little bit. The life satisfaction piece, yeah. It, sadly, again, girls come out lower uh, than boys for that. But yet, with with all of our fifteen-year-olds, as you say, life satisfaction is is very low um those from poor backgrounds just breaking that down a little bit with some other kind of mm. data those from poor backgrounds um have lower uh, life satisfaction but when you distill that it's it tends to be unhappiness with things related to the school and schoolwork um okay. and friendships rather than um 
family, for example. Mm. So, you know, it's not just as simple as saying, oh, poor children have lower life satisfaction. It's actually something about how the poor children are then fitting into mm. society, i.e. fitting in with their peers or fitting in with what their expectations are in school and yeah. stuff. Um, whereas in the family, they're actually quite satisfied. So again, is there something in the system or the way we're kind of running our mm. schools or whatever that's just not making these children feel as in- inclusive and, and valued as, as maybe you know they could be? Um, and with social media... Again, it, it's you know it's not a simple answer. Social media can have an impact if it's overused, but so can everything yeah. if it's overused. Yeah. So there's something something about overusage. Um, but if that's taken away from friendships and sleep, um, then you know it's having a negative impact on 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 mental health. Um, bullying, with bullying is sadly too high in our schools mm. and. You know, schools have been working on bullying for kind of yeah. ever, yeah. you know. Uh, but if there's one thing schools can do around mental health, it's really look at their what's happening with bullying because it, it is too high. And we we can imagine if we don't feel safe going to somewhere, you know, it's going to impact us in so many ways. Um, so, and and interestingly, actually, bullying declines with age, whereas um, and well-being declines with age. So it isn't it isn't as simple as saying it doesn't, it doesn't explain the well-being scores in itself. Mm. Um, there's something different about bullying and the well-being. You can't you can't dismiss, you can't say because the well-being was kind of life satisfaction was low because the bullying that isn't isn't the case. Mm. It's, it's different. Um, and some groups are at higher risk. So again, it's the you know those groups you might think about who are kind of a, you know have a specific need of some kind or in a smaller niche group, maybe. And again, it's probably about feeling inclusive and feeling like they Mm. belong uh, to a school. Um, Where bullying has taken place, uh, you know, having the protective factors there, good quality friendships, good quality family relationships, good quality relationships with teaching and uh, teachers and others in school uh, can mitigate the effects of bullying on things like well-being. So, you know, putting in, the, making sure the child has those multiple mm. assets and resources they can draw on. Um, and, and also, incidentally, bullying is, is often, because schools often maybe say that, oh, it, you know, it's online bullying, we can't stop it. Uh, the data and the research tends to show that, um, obviously, there is online bullying, but it tends to, it tends to be an add-on to face-to-face bullying. Mm. It tends not to be... Um, happening a lot. No, it isn't self cost of our instances yeah. where it happens alone. Yeah. But largely, it's uh, it's an add on rather than it, it's happening by itself. Um, it's uh, if 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 bullying is happening online, it's happening mm. in the school um, as well um, in the face to face way. Yeah, and um, I I guess just just thinking of the sort of the broadest um, sweep of of kind of different types of children and young people affected by mental health we've just been talking about you know anxiety about about failure and um you know withdrawing from activities and 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 this kind of thing but also then thinking about um children with um social and emotional uh, mental mental health needs who might also fall in foul of of behavior um rules in in schools then sort of being excluded uh, from from activities or in extreme cases the schools them themselves and you know it, it really is that kind of full full sweep through the school and needs that that whole school leadership thinking about because all of these different elements can often be owned by different people can't they yeah they can and it's quite you know it's quite complex and Mm. and in different groups and when we've done when we have worked with schools and they've done a survey and they've kind of identified you know to to see what's 
before you start improving mental health what's the current state mm. you know that kind of baseline and um it's quite surprising because often schools will come back and say you know we the survey i flagged up the 85 90 percent of people we knew about you know, but actually mm. these 10 percent or whatever we we didn't you know mm. there was some here we just were not aware we would never have thought that they were you know feeling like this uh, mm. or whatever you know so it is some maybe sometimes those hidden uh, needs yeah. that are not um you know and, and they're, they're partly hidden because um you know because the child themselves is wanting to perhaps conceal them so it's not yeah. it's not about blame or anything it's just about saying actually we need to probably be a bit more alert and aware of of potentially what mm-hmm. could be happening yeah. um and not not always not always just see the kind of um, the, kind of the noise in front of us when there could be some silent things happening over there with a child who otherwise by all kind of measures could be doing absolutely great in the mm. school system you know those girls from that grammar school were high perform academically high performing mm. girls but some of them were you know were really cutting themselves off from kind of life opportunities because they were the fear of failure for example you know and what does that lead to them going yeah. I mean sadly data seems to say we've got about 10% of our young girls who have self-harmed or attempted suicide you know as a country and you know there's definitely something happening yeah. there especially um uh, with those teenage girls um that's that's a big concern i know mm-hmm. for the public health and the kind of nhs side they're really concerned yeah. but they're not showing up in the SEND data mm. so the school data uh, they're not flagging those um, probably because they have got an yeah. educational need it isn't mm. inhibiting they're probably doing quite well at school mm. um but they have a need of nevertheless yeah and i'm 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 curious to know what you think about um the government's mental health uh strategy and you know their promise to have a kind of lead in every every school do 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 you think this is the the right approach is is policy moving fast enough is there enough connection between health and education on this what what are your thoughts yeah i mean as a we we desire we are at the beginning, I talked about us, um, you know, setting out with looking at leadership mm. and really focusing on the school leader for mental health and designing a school leadership uh, program for me- mm. for the mental health lead um, before before the government kind of came out with the green yeah. paper announcement. So we've been doing this for a few years now. We've implemented it across some several local authorities and mats and and what have you. Um, and we've got a master's in school leadership of mental health as well. So yeah. we, we've got a cadre of people who are studying this at quite an in-depth yeah. um, academic um, level as well. And they're all on the SLT. You know, we were always quite clear that this needs to be an SLT mm. piece. And I'm really pleased the government is, is on with that because um, there was a d- discussion at one point about it being more like a middle leader. Yeah. Well, if, you know, if you're going to lead this agenda, it needs to have that, that, that responsibility at SLT level. So kind of from a, a kind of... Um, philosophical level i suppose yeah. it's the right thing it's the right direction it's the right resource um yeah it's been criticized for not going fast enough i think you know the government obviously are trying to roll it out in a way that is sustainable and and fits in um i think the biggest concern i have is is not is not so much the this this maybe you know the speed is more what happens after mm. so um, what's the sustainability? Because what we yeah. don't want to do is spend a, a lot of money as a country and a lot of time mm. for people and schools uh, training up a lot of um, you know mental health leads. Hopefully, hopefully they have some really good quality training. Um, but then you know the training ceases. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's the what's the follow on? Yeah. Um, and that's where you know from our experience when we're working with mental health leads across the country, you know they are looking at 
things like supervision models so mm. having someone the school the school leader can call on yeah um who will be the support who can offer that guidance and ongoing um you know and the, the dfe are kind of getting around that by trying to establish networks i think that's great having local networks i think that's mm. important because peer-to-peer sharing is as yeah but i think there is something about and we when we responding to the green paper we made the case for supervision but you know it wasn't taken on but we think there is something around having that kind of supervision style um, support for the mental health leads Um, so that you know they're carrying the case perhaps for obviously overseeing mental health across the school but they're also in some cases be aware of you know children who have uh, accessing specialist Mm. mental health services children who are at high levels of need um, with with high um, you know mental which you know and they're taking that home yeah. in effect and it isn't fair for us to just expect them can kind of you know without you know where do they go to who do they refer to who do they seek for guidance and, it, you know? and it's something that that I mean, we've, we've spoken about on a, on a previous podcast actually in relation to safe you know designated safeguarding leads as well that that it's a huge, um, you know, uh, taking taking this this knowledge and information and these interactions with, with children who are deeply distressed away with you at the end of the day is n- not like your average day job, and and people need need that support around them for sure. Um, and where would you articulate um, where the the sort of the school's role in in mental health should end and kind of healthcare professionals come in because I feel like a lot of the debate is often we just can't access cams and it's all about you know which area are you in and have you got enough um sort of healthcare resource where do you where do you think what would you say about that it's, yeah I think there's a in a way it's quite clear mm. but then there's the practice there's, the, there's the kind of theoretically clear but there's mm. the practically what happened so in a way it's quite you know treatment is not a school you know, treatment yeah. is for specialist um, health professionals to provide mm. treatment, just like you would go to a doctor for a GP for treatment of, you know, other parts of your health. Um, so if it's treating a clinically diagnosable and diagnosed mm. need and accessing that treatment, then that should that should be provided through through specialist services. Yeah. Um, now, the messiness is, is that all, that's one, not always accessible, but two, even if they are accessing that specialist treatment, they're still in school most of the time, mm. nevertheless, you know, we're not like, so, but that's the same for anyone else who's accessing other treatment, a physical health need, yeah. you might be under, you know, accessing treatment and getting inpatient support, mm. but yet going to school for most of the time, I mean, mm. that, you know, so schools kind of are used to adju- uh, adapting yeah. their uh, routines and classroom environments and the rest of it, to, and I think we just have to approach it a bit the same way, but the school shouldn't be providing um, clinical treatment clearly mm. the exception of course is if the school is like a special school and has that mm. clinical expertise on site um or, or indeed kind of buys in that specialist yeah. service but by and large um no they should but what the school for, for all children should be doing that promotion of positive uh, mental health and well-being reducing uh, promoting the risk uh, promoting the uh, the protective factors yeah. of positive relationships and all of that reducing those risk factors and Things like bullying and exclusion mm. in the school are risk factors. Not feeling included in the school community are risk factors. You know, all of those. So that's things that should be happening across the school community and the school should have a really good eye on. Anyway, and for those needing those additional support, um, providing that in school as as, well, as much as possible. Mm. And if it comes to treatment, making sure they're accessing that treatment as best you can, given yeah. the context of CAMS referrals and what have you. But then 
as I say, even if they are accessing that treatment outside of school, you know, making those adjustments so that when they are in school, they're still able to access a full curriculum and access mm. their, you know, because the worst thing you can do in many cases if you've got a mental health need is kind of be, feel isolated and different. Mm. Um, you know, you want to be maintaining those friendships, building those peer-to-peer relationships, building those teacher relationships. And indeed, some of the data from the NHS asks people who are accessing um, young people who are accessing clinical treatment who they found most helpful and it's actually teachers and mm. um, education support staff who come out much higher than uh, mental health professionals and yeah. GPs and what have you so even those who are accessing specialist services they find the, the school staff are much more helpful than mm. not so you know there's a lot to be said about supporting those children as much as possible within the school but yeah treatment um, is, is for specialist services mm. and that's where the leader piece comes in again yeah. so how confident is the leader to challenge mm. do they know even where to look to ch- who to challenge if they're yeah. not accessing treatment you know um, you know nice guidance exists and stuff like that which schools should hopefully be able to look up and at least mm. cite to be able to get um, mm. but building those relationships with CAMS etc the clinical commissioning group so that um so that they can help inform what treatment should be provided in their community yeah. based on the needs of the, the, the children that exist. And you're also um, advocating for, for a new role in school, the school mental health specialist. Can you tell me a bit more about that, what that might look like? Yeah, this kind of follows on from the mental health lead. So having a lead who looks after mm. the strategic need of a school, um, but then underneath um, that person is somebody who is working, especially with those kids who have identified needs and providing that um, pre-treatment level support uh, to those to those children. And we've we've kind of we've done some research into this, and we looked about uh, we looked at it from different angles. We spoke to lots of schools. Basically, what what we found is schools want mental health support on site. Mm-hmm. Um, even if there's an all singing, all dancing cam service, which in most, I don't think there is anywhere, yeah. but even if there was, they actually would want it on site. And if you're asking young, young children, children and young people, they want it on mm-hmm. site as well. So the need to have um, you know mental health support on site, but what we've found is um, current models of um, that mental health support, um, so other professions like counselling or psychotherapy and all the rest of it, ha- you know, there's a lot of strengths to that, but it, in some cases it's just not meeting the needs of a school. And having a, a school, uh, a, a role that's actually rooted within the school community comes from a, a teaching and education background, um, but is nevertheless trained in mental health uh, skills and evidence-based mental health approaches. So what does that mean in practice? It's looking at the public health approach to mental health and looking at those the support that can be given at the pre-treatment stage for those children who are needing that additional support, but yet being a part of the school community. So yeah, we're devising a, a, a new master's level qualification in uh, for the school mental health specialists and we've got um we've got schools uh, i've been quite surprised actually we've got almost a full group and mm-hmm. it doesn't launch till september 21 okay, we've got wow. almost a full group of schools uh, signed up to the first uh, the first the first launch um, and we're working with that group to help to shape the program mm-hmm. you know because it's it's essentially a you know literally a kind of blank canvas for us to, to, to design how it's going to look what the content will be what the assessment methods will be and all the rest of it um, so yeah so we're currently shaping that up and that's that's the next challenge for us it minds ahead is to get that ready and launched in September 21 so we have hopefully a, hopefully it becomes the the main um, kind of mental health role within the school actually in the longer term okay so um People who've, who've listened to this podcast and are hungry for more information about Minds Ahead, 
or, or kind of practical examples for um, you know how schools are, are tackling uh, mental health? Where should they go? What should they look at? Yeah, our, web, our website www.mindsahead.org.uk. Um, our Twitter handle is at minds underscore ahead. I think those are probably the two main bits of uh, of the internet that we populate the most. Um, yeah, and by all means, drop us a line, and uh, more than happy to you know pick up pick up things from there, really. And you you run an uh, an award um, for for schools. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we we work in partnership with Leeds Beckett, and we mm. me and Minds Ahead and, and Leeds Beckett co-founded the Carnegie Centre of Excellence for Mental Health in Schools. It's the first. Uh, university centre for mental health in schools in in the country uh, part of when we're setting it up we identified well I saw that it was a there was a university centre for mental health in schools in uh, Canada and one in uh, North and in, in the US but not one in the UK so mm. let's get it let's get it happening um, and it sits within the faculty of education which is the right place for it it sits in again in, in education mm. not in health um, and and as part of that we designed and developed a school mental health award mm which is a chance for um, schools to audit where they are when it comes to their mental health. It looks at all aspects of the whole school approach to mental health. Uh, and then they go about uh, implementing an improvement plan. Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of evaluated at the end of that process as to kind of how far they've got. And yeah, we've got about 700 schools um, so far that have gone through or going through mm-hmm. that award process. Um, but again, if they're interested in that, they can either contact Minds Ahead, uk, or they can look at the Carnegie Centre of Excellence for Mental Health in Schools uh, website, which is hosted by Leeds Beckett. Uh, so if Leeds Beckett, Mental Health in Schools, and you, you'll probably find us there. Fantastic uh, stuff. And um, anything you'd like to say in, in closing to, to our audience? Only that, I think for anyone who's working on this agenda, and obviously people listening to this will be working on it to some extent or on, on, you know, on other... There is a great deal of appetite out there. Schools want to. Schools want to lead. Schools are leading this, mm. and they want to do more, and they want to do it right. And I think it's just about kind of trying to find those fellow colleagues who, who are, you know, who are who are wanting to take this agenda forward. I found so much enthusiasm and appetite to to, to do this and do it right, and willingness to to do things a bit new and and to take it on. You know, so it's it's really an opportunity for anyone who wants to get involved and make a difference. I think there's fertile ground at the Mm. moment for that. So best of luck with it. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dean, for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.